Michael Kerr here. I have the enormous pleasure of introducing my friend all the way from beautiful, spectacular Costa Rica, a place I have been to, what, three times now. Absolutely love Costa Rica. Richard Blank, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing great, Por Vida. Michael, it's great to see you again and to be on your show. Really happy to be here. Hi, thank you, Richard. It's it's awesome to have this conversation with you. And and you are coming to us, yes, from Costa Rica, right? Lucky you. Absolutely. I've been here for 21 years. Once that barn door was open, that horse wasn't coming back. Uh, when I was 27, I had the opportunity to move here and work for a couple months at a friend of mine's call center. And I took the opportunity and decided that I loved it here and wanted to make a life in Central America. So I rolled the dice and here we are today and I'm known as the CEO of Costa Rica's call center since 2008. And you rolled the dice and it clearly came up, what, sevens, right? Because that's, that's a pretty amazing uh, transition you've made there. And, and tell everybody, for those folks who have not had the good fortune of visiting Costa Rica yet, what does yes. is, is Pira Vida embody? What does it embrace? It, translates to pure life. It's about enjoying life to the fullest. Since Costa Rica focuses mainly on uh, natural tourism, really it's about visiting volcanoes and rainforests and, and all these beautiful waterfalls with the vegetation, the flowers, the fruits, yeah. the animals. The birds, the, the, birds. the food, the people. And that's what we found traveling through Costa Rica. Everybody yes. is just so darn happy and friendly. And I know in <laughs> world happiness research rankings, Costa Rica always ranks up there very, very high. So it really is a, uh, it's, it's a great place to talk about happy, inspiring Pira Vida workplaces too, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so let's dive in, dive in with this. You're the CEO of this. Let's start with, with just that, this transition that you undertook. Yes. Um, when you became CEO, what was it like to not only try and influence uh, a culture that perhaps had a different culture before you came along, but also a different, a different uh, culture in terms of just the country, in terms of the people? What was, what was that experience like? It was easy for me, Michael, and that's an excellent question because I was prepared for it. When I was in high school, my best class was Spanish, so I doubled down and majored in college in Spanish and communication. And so I was able to build certain sort of foundation soft skills and conflict management skills to at least be a leader or to communicate appropriately. While I was here, I already started off by being bilingual, but then again, I embraced the culture. As you mentioned, it's a beautiful culture, but I also saw something different. Any sort of work environment can be enhanced and it could be for the agent and it could also be for the client. And I also saw that there was a lot of burnout and people felt like a number or felt like a robot at any sort of job, any sort of vocation. Right. And so deciding to be a business owner, I, I kind of wanted to roll up my sleeves and be with my people. If, I, if anything of nothing, I wasn't going to do through technology. I was going to do it through old school coaching, setting examples, dressing for the job, showing up on time, knowing the people's names. And once again, feeding their morale and their momentum by encouraging certain vocabulary 
and certain sort of soft skills on the phone so they could feel more fulfilled doing their job. So to give them their dignity, improving that self-confidence and self-reliance, Michael, is really where my core values were as a business owner and a CEO that could differentiate me from places that are 10 times my size. I'm 10 times their quality. And that's the difference. Oh, that's, I, I love that. I love how you frame that. There's a lot to unpack there. And I was going to ask you about your workplace culture leadership philosophy. And sure. so thank you for, for already introducing that so brilliantly. And when you said dress for the job, I, of course, I'm looking at how you're dressed for this and you just look spectacular compared to me. I mean, I, I feel I feel like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm roughing it here today. Just in case our mothers show up, I always want to look nice. <laughs> you, well, you, know. you look you look exceptionally nice. Does everybody does everybody dress like that there? <laughs> they could if they wanted to. If they wanted to. Sure. But, but the main thing is, it's really and you told me before and I, I'm not fooling your audience. She's Richard. Stop, don't dress up. I'm doing it anyway. But I'm doing it because I. Michael, you are a good friend and I, I want to show respect to you. And I also want to show your audience that it's my own self-respect. I almost put on a cape and I got the Superman thing when I wear this. I, I kind of shed a skin and get into a new skin by doing this. Uh, we, we both could have worn capes. I have a cape in my back, back closet. There. <laughs> wait a minute. So, you can throw it on. Yeah. Um, so I love how you said it because it, it's such a small thing. And yet at the same time, it's not a small thing. You, sure. you said the line just calling people by their name, right? Yes. Like, like what, what an incredibly um, effortless, small gesture on the one hand, yet it speaks volumes and it's so important. And I cannot tell you, Richard, the number of times I've gone into workplaces and been astounded that the senior leaders don't know people's names who are working for them. Do they call them champ or ace? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, buddy? hey, you. Hey, hey how's it going? I take oh. it a step further, Michael, besides knowing their names, since I have a gamification culture, which means that I have pinball machines, Pac-Man machines, and air hockey table at my call center, so they don't smoke, go on Instagram, or be by themselves. They can interact with agents from other departments. They can let off steam, or they can build up their confidence, or they can hang out with their boss for five minutes and play some old retro pinball. And that's the sort of environment that I create where we work hard, but we also play hard, but I play hard properly. I, I give them an old school retro arcade, which nobody else has done, but I've seen people even fall in love in the game room by the Pac-Man machine. So it's a place, it's a neutral environment for people to enjoy themselves with the lights and the action. Besides the work side of my job, that's the sort of culture that I do as well, where we, we can play together. And when you do that, then you are bonding and building more stable and stronger relationships that way. By having I, I, I love that. I love that. And I, and I love how you, you talked about um, and, and ensuring their dignity. You, you, mm -hmm. you use the word dignity. Can you expand on that? I would love to. And of course, the reason we're on today is because we both share each other's values. This is a very strict Catholic country. And it's important for me that these young men and women go home and tell their family what they do for a living. As much as I want to fulfill the client's needs, I have to fulfill the agent's needs. And there's many options here. So we're extremely selective of the campaigns that come into the center. 
because I could bring something in, but no one would show up for it or they wouldn't want to do it. And so I have to ensure that I do not compromise their ethics, values, or morals. I will bend them a little bit for their confidence level so they can do it, but I will never ask them to lie. I will properly prepare them for the script and the rebuttals and how to use the system so they're not guessing or I reduce any sort of fear that they may have. It's a very delicate stage. I could have somebody that's never worked in this environment before, but has the skills so I could mold them and make them into a champion. Or I could have somebody that comes into my environment that you would love to hire because they have the, the skill set that they have the most terrible habits. Or even worse, Michael, imagine being a cancer at the center and destroying people's morales and focus. So we choose each person on a one-to-one -one case by case basis, because as much as you show me the bells and whistles, it could be a problem. And I'm really looking for somebody that would like to become part of our synergy, where all of the parts work together for the common good of the whole. I don't need a, a QB one on a team. I want somebody that wants to sit next to somebody and bring the next person up to the next level. That's a leader. Right. That's and, an individual and, that I'm looking for. And and as you suggested, somebody who is not going to be a soul-sucking fun sucker, because we yeah. know how much of a drain, how much of a cost that is, right? Not just a tangible cost, but a cost on morale and everybody's mental and physical health. So it sounds like you put a fair bit of emphasis on your hiring practices, getting your hiring right. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, we follow all Costa Rican labor laws. But I'll share a secret with you, Michael, and this is a good one. They'll fill out their resumes and they'll put in their work experience and I'm, I'm proud of them. But I asked them to write a coming of age moment on the back of the paper, give me a two, two paragraph essay. Then they asked me what a coming of age moment is. So that's beautiful. I get to explain to them a romantic portion of life. Yeah. I get to gauge their English grammar, spelling and vocabulary levels but I also get to hear a real story about the time they beat up a bully or saved the kitten out of the tree. And I do it for two reasons, to see the depth of their character. And also when it's a rainy Wednesday and they're not feeling very good about themselves, I can walk the roads and remind them of the moment when it was the darkest or the most difficult and they overcame it before. And so it's not a manipulation, it's an encouragement. You shared the story with me. This was your coming of age moment. Right. So why, why can't we reconnect into the time when you were the champ? And I can remind you of who you were on where you need to be now and then what you are going to become once this work is finished. And so if they can recharge their batteries in my environment where they spend more time with us than they do their own families, then maybe, just maybe, Michael, they can go out and leave the office recharged and conquer any sort of personal challenges that they may have outside of the office, which will then come back to the circle again of affecting their work in the office. So at least my friend, I'm doing my part for their eight hours that they're with me. The, the moment they walk into my office, I'm accountable for them. And I will make sure that I will add wind into their sails. I love that. That, that that's that's beautiful. That's a lot, that's almost goosebumpy material right there, Richard. I love it. <laughs> so in other words, you're you're doing 
you're certainly doing everything I, I talk about, write about and speak about and preach about treating people like human beings, yes. the, the 24 hour human beings that show up in our workplaces and not just as units of productivity for those eight hours that we have them. And, uh, and I love that, that uh, getting them to tell the, the, the story like that. I, I forget what company it is. I'm trying to remember the company, but there's one where the new employees get a letter and they frame the letter and it's written by their senior manager, uh, a, a handwritten letter explaining why they hired them, why they chose them. And they frame that and put them that in their office as a reminder evermore. So, um, so I love that. Now, you know, right? I think we all know that call centers have a pretty lousy reputation in a lot of places around the world in terms of their work environment, right? Not the best work environment in a lot of call centers. So is that something you're conscious of and something that you've, you continue to um, work against in terms of that stereotype to make sure you, you are not uh, falling into the uh, trap of so many other call centers out there? Well, it made it very easy for me. There was an old uh, Marine General Chesty that used to say that when they were surrounded, it's good because they know where the enemy is. The fact that these individuals are making so many mistakes and so many errors, it allows me to know what not to do. And besides learning the technical side, financial side or the ramping up with the equipment building side. Working in the call center for my first four years, I was able to understand the agent side, the proletariat, the gripes, the ups and the downs. So I knew initially, because if no agents show up, you don't have a call center. Right. So, so I got to understand their position. And I, I guess I hold that more sacred than anything else, even though my server room equipment and and supervisors are important. It's really about the people. But I also believe that there's, there's multiple ways to look at it physiologically and psychologically. Psychologically, a lot of call centers do sports books, casino stocks, pharmacies, or sweepstakes. I don't do that. Uh, I could, but I wasn't raised to earn a dollar in a certain way. And so it's just something I just didn't feel personally comfortable with. Or it's this thing where I, I know that the agents in Costa Rica couldn't fulfill those needs. So those are some specific campaigns that I politely pass on. So that's the psychological side to it, the sort of campaigns that agents would be working. Physiological, I've seen boiler room movies and, and it's exciting. It's fun when people are standing and pitching. And if you want me to, I can do that for you. But I always believe in natural lighting, make sure that it's, the air is fresh and that you have vaulted ceilings if you can, so you don't feel cramped, that the agents have all of their equipment that are up to speed and ready, that they have their resources, that they are quality assured where they're being coached consistently because fear, Michael, is the morbid anticipation of something that hasn't happened yet. So if I can reduce that 15% of fear that they might have of the unknown and redirect that into sort of motivational language or any sort of inspirational energy, then you're catching that sort of momentum of the agent. So a lot of it is a mutual sort of reinforcement where besides using big boards on the wall to write your numbers, it's not really that. 
you and I, and I even said this, if you and I worked together at a call center, we'd be having lunch every day and, and high-fiving because Michael's the coolest. But you know perfectly well, Michael, you're on a phone call and I'm dialing for a moment, but I hear you in a groove. I might pause that call for a minute because it's not like I'm not working. I am working. I'm giving you the energy, but Michael is cracking a code. And what you could be saying, I could be using on the next call. What's an extra 30 seconds if you're passing the baton to me? If you're looking at me winking and going, yeah, I got him. You're my man. And when I see that on the floor, those sort of connections between people, I don't look at your metrics. Don't make me 100 calls a day. Make me 89 calls a day because you and Michael are passing information back and forth and your numbers are killing it. Forget the calls. I'm looking for conversions. And if you're doing some Lennon-McCartney magic, if you guys are high-fiving, if you're talking about a call afterwards, I'm leaving you. What do I need to do? Leave you, I'm leaving you alone you're making it grow. That's your energy that you're doing. All I did was put you there to be able to do it. Right. So, and that speaks to the importance of being careful what you measure, right? Measure, measure quality, not quantity. That ruins the mind. They rush a call because they make that sort of, I, I tell them it's almost like a painter. If you're commissioned or if you get to do it yourself, a lot of the times when you're free, you paint better. Right. And if there is no time restriction, right. because there's a certain part of the call, Michael, where we're talking about your dog because it's barking in the background and inadvertently and passive aggressively, I'll let you know I love your dog. And then we talk about the dog. Now I'm anchoring because as much as you think I'm closing you in the beginning, getting you softened up in the middle and concluding you with the conversion. No, no, no. It's that moment when you ask me, excuse me, what is your name again? My name is Richard. And so that's when you remember my name because we connected over something that was different from what you were calling me or I was calling you about. Right. You loosen the tie, you get real for a moment, you have the sip of coffee. And I try on every call to find a me too moment with somebody. And since they're home, it's usually a child or an animal or maybe music in the background or I could hear something in the kitchen. But those are the moments where if it's distracting or it catches my attention, I try to bond over something like that. It's, it's literally a safe spot. It's a neutral zone during conversation where two people can then share their original ideas. So it, that's not really selling, Michael. It's you, you and I off camera have spoken about so many topics. We have so much in common. There's no reason why if I was cold calling you or you were calling into my company to fix something that there's a very good percentage that we would go off on a tangent and speak about something else besides what either of us were calling about. Right, right. It's about building a, a trust, right? It's, it's about trust. It's about relationship building. It's about just Ooh. connecting at a fundamentally human level. Now, Richard, did you say, did you use the phrase me too? But you used it, I think, in a different context than, than the hashtag me too movement, right? You were talking no, it, about- it is, it is a me too technique. I mean, you, you like Rush in Canada, me too. Me too, You like yes. hockey, me as a, too. As in finding like those commonalities me. between- Yeah, common, it's a me too commonality, but, yeah. but I do it in the sense of where if I'm calling a certain company, like if I was calling a pinball company, besides trying to pitch them on something, I'd be raving about my machines and I love the industry. And if, if you have a true- genuine passion for something, a lot of the times prior to even introducing myself, 
I will say the name of the company or their product in such a way that I almost say it better than the person answering the phone. Right. <laughs> and then they ask if they want to hire me. <laughs> but it's more of a positive escalation. I'm just jumping clouds of loving your company. Whoever answered the phone's the greatest. When I speak to the person, I'm going to let them know. Right. Everything is amazing. And you're not going to get called out on that because I'm not angling you you see a genuine interest in the person that answered the call was very helpful to get through to your extension or to give me more of your company culture or to talk about a promotion or anniversary right. that I could celebrate with you. And so I'm very appreciative of, of those sort of uh, contacts that I have and interactions. Now you said the word genuine in there and that's important, right? That's important uh, that, that we, come across authentic, that we're doing this for the right reasons, that we are genuine and real and authentic. So how do you, do you have any tips on that? How do you, how do you coach your employees, your teammates, so that they don't come across as, as scripted or they don't come across like they're being fake genuine? What an excellent question from a man that's authentic as the day is long, Michael. Um, I believe, I'll give you a visual. A lot of the times you're too well rehearsed. You know your lines too much. You become a print. You're not a painting anymore. You're not raw anymore. You're a character. You're just not in character. Mm. And so by having that experience of a dog, or you've traveled there like you have with Costa Rica, or even just being a mother with children and having that sort of relationship, that might ground you, that might balance you, that might focus you, that this is real. If you wanna do your job, then make your calls. You can do it for eight hours a day and grind it out and you'll get your commissions and your numbers, but you'll never be an ace. You'll never be that person that gets the referral. You'll never get that person that calls back in and gives you a positive escalation to your boss by saying Michael or Richard was undoubtedly one of the most professional or interesting individuals I've spoken to. It's not the money that you earn. It's the butterfly effect. It's the ripple effect. It's the fact that depending on the vertical that you're working on, you could be working at a law firm, for an example, and you're speaking with people in the most vulnerable times of their life when they're trying to reach an attorney. Instead of just trying to take their money and set them up for an appointment, sometimes you take an extra five minutes just to let them get it out because I've heard that bartenders and strangers are sometimes the best psychiatrists. You can get it all out with any sort of repercussion or any sort of judgment. And by taking that sort of empathetic and compassionate tone, that my friend is being authentic. You and I could work on scripts all day long and we could be clever, but you're gonna get caught. Yeah. But I think the extra follow-up question when you are listening more than speaking, or maybe if it's your time to talk, even if you're stuttering, repeating, but you're making your point, but it's in the most pure way, then I think you're a master communicator. And I think you've made your point. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I love that phrase. What was that phrase again, Richard? You said, um, in character, being- being. Oh, you could be a character. Be a you character versus be being in character. character. They're too well scripted. Watch the movies. God bless them. I mean, they, they know they're so well rehearsed. Always be closing. 
Boiler Room and, yeah. and, and, and Glengarry, and they're very talented speakers, and, and I have nothing against their skill set. But mind you this, not everybody sells stock, or a lot of clients believe that that sort of Northeastern United States tone, uh, assertiveness, vocabulary, may not be appropriate for a Midwestern, Southern, or Western company because you were mentioning that there are different cultures or even company cultures. And sometimes people's reputations are worth more than a dollar and they would rather have a long-term client than just a one and done. Right. And, and so a lot of my clients, when they call me, they're expecting me to give them that sort of Porsche engine sort of turbo. But then I would make a suggestion by saying, I believe that where we're calling it might be seen as a little too out of place for the sort of schools or organizations that might not be as receptive to that sort of tone. And so by being forthright with my clients and not being just a yes man, and, and I want you to win and I love your business and I'm appreciative, but as a professional and looking at this in the most intelligent way, in my opinion, is more of a neutral, neutral, arbitrary, where I can use deductive reasoning without any sort of emotion, I may be able to be very candid with the client in regards to all of my experiences from all the other calls that I made, which by having me outside of their bubble and by not having a yes man in their office, I'm not afraid to lose their business, but I will not be able to feel comfortable ethically unless I'm able to share with them exactly how I feel about this or how the agents may perceive what you're asking for them to do. And so there's gotta be no surprises, Michael. And that's what makes it authentic. I can be passionate about it and I can sell myself, but I will definitely be giving you information. So from an educated point of view, all of us can make the best decision together. So it sounds like partly what you're talking about, well, you're talking about so many different things here. It's fabulous. But That's one of the things we haven't mentioned yet, or one word we haven't mentioned is just purpose, Al aligning yourself very strongly, very clearly with what your ultimate purpose is, right? Being, being crystal clear on that is, it's, it sounds to me like that, that is a key part of your success. It's not about money. Anyone can make money and, and I'm gonna be very comfortable for the rest of my life. So that fear, has got put away and, and this and that. So now the reason I got here was initially I was looking to feed families and I was looking to enhance somebody's own character building and their own resume. And by a certain sort of action created a reaction. And fortunately for me in the call center industry, the margins are phenomenal. So you can make a lot of money. I'm not saying I'm working harder than somebody that owns a business that's smaller than mine. I didn't say that. But you could sometimes gauge the rate of return on an hour. And I'm not telling most people to jump into the call center industry. You, fortune favors the brave, Michael. So this is a very competitive industry with a lot of attrition and a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have fidelity, if you don't love what you do, you won't be able to last very long with this. My first passion was to, I guess, prove my friends and family wrong that thought that I couldn't do this. Not that they couldn't think I, could, I couldn't do it, but nobody has ever done it. And so for me, going into that cave by myself, it was a little spooky, but I was willing to do it. 
And if I was the only one doing it, then all the treasure is mine. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> um, but, an, but another purpose was more of a self-fulfillment. I was more on a vision quest as a young man. I always had these tingles and these sort of feelings that something was going to be different. I just didn't know where the winds were going to take me. But I knew that learning a second language, I was embraced by Latino marketplaces. And I knew that out of my friends, I was highly marketable because I was the only one that was bilingual. And when I was applying for jobs, they were hiring me not for my charm and good looks, but for the fact that I could speak Spanish. And when I came here, I showed very good faith by investing my youth in learning their language. And so I was embraced. But, but clearly your charm and good looks must have helped. Come on, come on, yeah, Richard. It definitely gets you a call back for interviews. Look but, at uh, you. <laughs> it's more of my essence. They saw where I was coming from. I yeah. was really, I was more of an energy giver and yeah. I was always excited for things. I, I was just going to say the word energy, which we haven't brought up. And I don't, I don't mean, ener you know, whenever I, I talk a lot about energy, but I'm careful to frame it that I'm not talking about energy in a in a woo-woo kind of a way. Okay. I mean just the importance of the energy that we're exuding when we go into a room, our, our presence, uh, you know, are, are we demonstrating through our facial expressions, our tone of voice, our body language, that we're happy to be there, that we're interested in the people around us, that we're interested in the work that we are working on and, and in our clients, just demonstrating that passion is so okay. important. I think a lot of it has to do with your, your health. And I know that you and I both exercise. And in order for me to have this sort of energy, I need to get up every day at 5.30 to hit some cardio weights, bag and you know, a little boxing yeah, and, yeah. and work on my abs. And I ate a very large breakfast because as you can see, I need to eat two lunches to get my energy back after these podcasts. <laughs> so at least when they see me, they're seeing me at my best. Right. I'm healthy. I'm strong. My shoulders are back. My chin is up. My chest is out. And I also believe that when you're in certain environments, if people are having trouble looking in people's eyes, sometimes look in between the eyes. It's still the same. But if someone's negative, you're, they're not sucking your energy. If it's positive, look in their eyes. But if you don't want to be disrespectful, there is a technique of that way. Practice it. It's not going to take it. We also believe in proxemics, which is spacing between people. So my suggestion is besides facing them and mirror imaging their bodies, try to move in a little bit more, but not too much to uh, encroach on their spaces. There's something as haptics, which is touch, where sometimes, and I see this as a positive reinforcement, Michael, that when I'm playing pinball downstairs and my agents are walking past me to go upstairs, I will get touches on the arm and shoulder, which to me is appropriate. They're not being disrespectful. They're not touching my face or anything but hey boss how you doing mm -hmm. the fact that they're touching their boss that's cool that's a that's positive cool. reinforcement and so when someone's telling a good story or you're making a point a little tap here and there depending on how well you know the person that can that can do it as well i also believe in cleaning the spill paying for the bill where if somebody is making a mistake i have to i have to write that one down i gotta put that on a bumper sticker richard <laughs> sorry <laughs> It's almost, it's almost falling on a sword okay. where if somebody is not making their point clear or if it's something that needs re-explaining, I would ask instead of saying, excuse me, could you repeat that? What did you say? I'd say, Michael, for my clarification, did you say A, B, C or one, two, three? These are, these are small little swords you can fall on to not embarrass somebody, to not offend somebody, to show interest in somebody and to let them know they weren't clear because you were way off. 
but you're not saying, excuse me, you repeat that because some people could feel defensive or they might repeat it differently or, or they might be laughed at. So these are the sort of diplomatic soft skills that we could use with people in order to enhance any sort of communication experience. Right. And I wanted to circle that back to that before we wind down this, this fabulous conversation. You mentioned this right at the start of our conversation, Richard, uh, how you coach employees and the importance of soft skills and some communication techniques. Is there anything else you want to add on that front? Absolutely. Thank you. Before you make a single phone call or take any job, you got to be mentally prepared for it. So the first thing I tell them is something that is 100% true. I say what you have done by learning English is 10 times harder than what you're about to do. Really? Absolutely. Secondly, your boss knows your name on your first day. You got your dignity. And three, I will give you my word that I will properly prepare you to win. And if we have that sort of agreement, we'll do great. But, but I'm not finished there. I also encourage their continued education. So I have them have the thesaurus open every day. So besides the definition of a word, they learn similes. I'll give you the perfect example. So instead of being on the phone and telling a client that they would like to help them, they prefer to use words like assist, guide, and lend a hand. Why? Because it's only moving things forward, it's keeping the tone positive, and you're avoiding any sort of runaway trains and rabbit holes that you gotta dig out of for five minutes and could possibly kill the call. So initially off the bat, I'm not only teaching them to juggle, but also to bite the apple as well. And so it's not about me selling me. I sold them because they can see that they're in an environment that once again will enhance their skills. And the boss is doing it. We've been in business for 14 years and I'm going to earn their trust. And so besides teaching these skills, I teach them psychology. I want them to be relaxed. So instead of absorbing the moment they are super relaxed, then they start contributing. And then I get to see which sort of people can be leaders or which sort of sections of a script they're better at. So they can open up. And the only way to get there is to find the way to get there. And each person is a little different but they all have the same goal in mind is to be better people. And so that's pretty much how we handle our first day. It's really about a center, a balance, happy home. So you want to come back the next day. Right. Creating a want to instead of a have to workplace. It sounds, Richard, like you are embracing that so important philosophy uh, yeah. not creating more followers at work, but as a leader, we have to create more leaders. It's about yes. leaders leading leaders. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Michael. Richard, thank you so much. This has been such a rich conversation. It, it, just fascinating to hear your story, your transition to Costa Rica, all the incredibly cool stuff that you're doing and, and how you think about work and workplace culture is fascinating. Yeah. So thank you for your insights. Do you have any final words of wisdom for folks out there as in terms of being successful, being effective in their jobs, being effective in their workplace or contributing to a positive workplace culture, what final words of wisdom do you have, Richard? 
besides saying it, I'd love to show it. I am extremely appreciative of not only our budding friendship, Michael, but the fact of sharing time with you today. So what I'd like to share is being humble and being appreciative and being grateful and living in the now and enjoying your moment because tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> so if anything of nothing, and if this were my last day on this earth, I had an amazing time spending with you. And so if anybody can start their day off being relentlessly positive and just trying to shine, then don't be surprised if your life is not incredible and good things start happening. So I guess that would be my final thought for your amazing audience today. Absolutely love it. Thank you, Richard. It has been such a pleasure having this great conversation with you. Thank you so much. Be well. And of course, keep living the Pyralita. Pyralita. <laughs> I botched. I botched the big finale. Pura Vida lifestyle. Pura yeah. Vida lifestyle. Thank you. Pura Vida to everybody watching. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Michael.